0: Hello friends, welcome to Find Hope, Live Well, a show about doing small things to make big changes in your life. I'm Grant Stenzel. My goal is to help you regain hope and walk with you down the path of healing. Through my experience as a licensed clinical professional counselor and former pastor, I enjoy helping individuals and families navigate through mental health issues. It is often hard for parents to help their children cope with emotions like anger, anxiety, and fear. I addressed this topic at St. Petronell School in Glen Ellen in a talk I called Managing Your Child's Emotions. Tonight we're going to talk about emotions, we're going to talk about our kids' emotions, helping our, our kids uh, specifically with anger, anxiety, and fears, and fears mostly in regards to bullies. We're going to talk about bullies tonight. but just to start out with emotions, some fallacies that we hear is, first of all, it's very, very important to know emotions are not wrong. Emotions are not sin. You know, oftentimes we hear, you know, don't be angry or don't be sad. Don't be anxious. Everyone has them. They're not a sign of weakness. And, you know, we, especially we men, probably have a hard time with that, because I remember growing up and getting five years old. I got a bike for my birthday. The problem is uh, my birthday is in January, and I went out and rode it anyway on the north side of Chicago. Well, I hit a bump and flew over and ended up having stitches in my head, but I actually still remember my father saying, do you guys know what he said? Stop crying. Stop crying. Suck it up. You're fine. Then my mother giving him an evil stare and saying, no, he's not. He's going to the hospital. And so we as guys grow up saying, you know what? You're not allowed to have emotions. You're not allowed to cry. We're told not to be angry. We're told not to cry. We're told not to be sad. When we're anxious, people just give us very quick um, answers, as well as with the females. Oftentimes, we think that emotions are a sign of weakness, that there's something wrong with us because we are sad, happy, or whatever. But we're gonna learn a little more about emotions tonight, where they come from, and how we can actually affect them. You know, but most importantly, when I, I, I look back in Genesis and it says that God made his, us in his image. A lot of people think, well, then God looks like us. It's not exactly the, the best translation. Actually, if you look in the original Hebrew, it is we were made in his image as in his spirit. And the fact that we can create, and the fact that we have choice, and in the fact we have emotion. God is full of emotions in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. We see God being jealous, God hating things, God being disappointed, God being angry. And then in the New Testament, we see Jesus getting angry. The shortest verse in the Bible that's easy to memorize, Jesus wept, Jesus cried. Jesus and God both experience emotions and yet are without sin. So emotions cannot be sin; they can 't be wrong; they can 't be moral. But the question is, what do we do with our emotions and sometimes the problem is is that we sin or we do something wrong, our kids do something wrong in their emotions it's the anger that 's not, ang- not wrong it 's hitting your sister that 's wrong. you know and we very much explain that in my house. My kids are allowed to be angry they 're not allowed to throw things at each other or hit each other or whatever, you know, which still occasionally will happen. The one thing I've noticed also in our society, in our nice society, we've also become just very passive-aggressive. We all want to be nice, we all don't want to show anger, we all don't want to show disappointment. And so we're quiet about our emotions. If someone upsets us, someone does something to us, we just put on a smile and we just, we're going to be nice, right? But where where does that anger go? And we're telling our children, you know, oh, you know what, it's okay, calm down. You don't have to be angry. Where does that anger go? If they're not allowed to express it, if they're not allowed to stand up for themselves, if they're not allowed to express what they're upset about, where does that anger go? I'll tell you exactly where it goes. It, it, it gets repressed it turns into depression, turns into anxiety, turns into a lot of issues that you're going to be sending your kid to my counseling practice for, which would be fine. Um, however, I'm actually here for preventative maintenance. <laughs> if I'm actually trying to get less work, I guess, um, by being here. Um, Obviously, all kids could use counseling. My kids both have been in counseling. My daughter's actually actively in counseling right now, just because we think it's important for kids to be healthy, for kids to grow. Um, Actually, my wife had such a great idea when my son was 10, we introduced him to a counselor. There was nothing going on. But we wanted him to have a good relationship with a counselor so that when something did happen, he didn't have to build that relationship. He already had it. And there's been times my son's been upset or you know he went through puberty and was emotional. Um, he struggled with some anxiety. We went to his counselor and it really helped him out. So going to a counselor again is not a sign of weakness. In many ways, it's a sign of courage. It's because you can face your own struggles. You can face your own emotions, which oftentimes is very difficult. Anyway, so we're gonna talk about emotions. Most people think that this is what happens. I know this is very scientific, but whatever. That a circumstance happens and I become angry, right? I'm driving along, someone cuts me off, I get angry. What do I say? That guy made me angry, right? But did that guy really make you angry? If that guy made you angry, then that guy would make everyone angry. That would scientifically be a fact. If the stimulus always caused the response, then the same stimulus would always cause the same response. So that if I'm driving down the road and this guy cuts me off, of course I have to get angry because this guy cutting me off always makes people angry. But what about the people that don't get angry? Don't have a reaction. Actually used to have road rage. I praise God cured myself of that. Um, which you can't actually do when you understand how to control your emotions. Because the problem is you can't change the stimulus much, especially if you're on 290. Oftentimes we can't change the stimulus for our kids. I mean, sometimes we can affect who they're hanging out with or what's going on, but they're going to be at school and they're out of your hands. And lots of stimuli can happen that they can react to. We can't control this response. So what we do is we tell our kids, well, just control your response. Don't get angry, don't be anxious, don't be sad. But how do you exactly do that? You can't, we can't just say, well, stop being sad doesn't really happen. We then try and change the circumstance, right? Give them a lollipop, take them a dunk of donuts, try and make them happy. If this is your model of understanding how emotions work, there's no solution. Ah, there we go. What happens is, is, this happens so quickly we don't realize it. When a stimulus happens, a circumstance happens, We have a cognition, a belief. We interpret the event. But it happens so quickly, we don't realize it. So I'm driving down the road, this guy cuts me off. I very quickly think, this guy doesn't have a right to cut me off. Then I get angry. Why am I angry? Not because he cut me off. Because I think he doesn't have the right to cut me off. Or because I'm gonna lose the 1.2 seconds in getting to work. Anger, emotions, anxiety all come from our belief system, from our cognitions, our thoughts. How we think (coughs) determines how we act and how we feel. In counseling, this is what we do. We try and change the beliefs. We try and change the cognitions, the thoughts. We reframe. We help students view things in a different way so that we can then change the response and the emotion. Example of this, 9-11. 9-11 happened. We all here in America believe it was wrong. We all get upset, as we should have. It was wrong. However, if you were part of the teleman, part of uh, the Hamas that were, not the Hamas, but the, help me out here. Al Qaeda. Al Qaeda, Al Qaeda. We got bombed. They believe we're all evil and should be bombed. They were elated right? Same stimulus, different response. Why? Different belief. Different thoughts. Different way of interpreting that event. Obviously, that's a radical example, but that is exactly what happened. In Proverbs, it says, train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. It is my goal, is my wife and I's goal, is to train our children up, not just academically, not just with sports, but emotionally. Because when they leave us, we want them to be able to be emotionally healthy people. I mean, realistically, if you look at how you react to things, you probably got it from your parents or from something your parents did. You know, I remember the first time my, my son was three. And I I don't remember exactly what I said, but I said something very, very similarly to my dad, because you know I've said, I'm never going to be my father. And all of a sudden I said one of those fatherly things my dad said to me, I'm like, oh my gosh, I've become my father. We're affected by how we grow up. And so you know, I want my kids to grow up in a better environment, a mentally, emotionally more healthy environment. And so that's what we are trying to do is train our children up so that they will be healthy adults. And I'll tell you this, I I tell parents this all the time, six months of counseling as a kid is worth five years of counseling as an adult. Because you know, if you can fix what's going on with the kid now, not only are you fixing it now, you're fixing the wrong way they're interpreting and doing things for the next 10, 20 years. If their belief system is, everyone's out to get me, then you know they're gonna believe that for that period and they're gonna continue to believe that and it's gonna get worse and it's cyclical. And they become more unhealthy and more unhealthy. And I deal with a lot of adults. I do a lot of adult counseling. And a lot of it is just going back to their childhood and figuring out where they got the belief system they have, that faulty belief system. People are out to get me, or I can't trust people, or whatever that faulty belief is. So first, we're going to talk about anger. First, we're going to talk about ways you can make it worse. Yelling at your kids, probably a way to make their anger worse. Kids feel scared. We forget how big we are. You know, We don't realize how much bigger we are than our children. They're scared of us. And especially us men. We don't realize how big we are sometimes. And if we all of a sudden are here and our, our child's here and we're yelling, that's scary. And if that's scary to them, they're gonna have different responses going forward. They're, they're gonna have anxiety, they're gonna have fear, or you know what, they're gonna model that. They're going to do exactly what you do. They're going to see how you react to things and re- react the exact same way. So if I'm driving in traffic and I have road rage and I'm screaming in a car, guess what's going to happen the next time my son sees something and he's, that happens? He's going to scream, get angry, yell. We model how to have emotion and how to be healthy at our emotions. Arguing with your kids. Who here one won an argument with their child? <laughs> Anyone? Who here is one argument with their spouse? (laughs) There's no winning arguments. Arguments don't work. The funny thing is, is we think we're logical beings, especially as men. We, We struggle with that. We think we're logical. However, to give logical arguments to someone who's illogical, considering it never works, is illogical. Trying the same thing over and over, expecting a different result is? definition of insanity, but yet we do it. We continue to argue with our kids. It hasn't worked the last 100,000 times we've argued with them, starting at age two, trying to argue with a two-year-old, but yet we keep doing it. Why do we keep arguing with our kids? It engages them, and honestly, it brings them up to our level, and all of a sudden, they think they can argue, and they have power. I love my kids, and I I, I like to get input from them. I like for them to discuss, but what I decide is, is my decision and they don't get to argue. If they have a good point, I'll listen to it. Might even change my mind. But I'm not gonna engage in an argument with my children. It's pointless, especially if they're upset. When people are upset, they're irrational. We think we're rational. I once had someone in my office. It was marriage counseling, and I I told her to to calm down a little bit, and she said, I'm not yelling! (laughs) I said, okay, you're not yelling, awesome. When we are upset, we're moving from the middle or the front of our brain, cognitions, emotions, we're going back to just simple fight or flight. Simple fight or flight that all beings have. And when we're in fight or flight, all we have is adrenaline. Alls we are thinking is, I need to fight to get out of this or I need to flight, I need to run to get out of this. The reason we have it is, you know, back when we were running around and there was bears and we didn't have houses and everything, a bear would run out in the woods and you shouldn't sit and determine what you should do if a bear's running at you. You need to very quickly decide, am I going to fight this bear or am I going to run from this bear? That's why fight or flight is there. However, in our society, as our society has evolved much faster than our brains, we still use this fight or flight reaction. So when we get in an argument, or we become anxious, or we become afraid, we immediately go to fight or flight. And this is why arguing doesn't work. All we're trying to do is either fight or run. And neither work. Yes? I have a question about that. What are some successful techniques to confuse the argument? If you say, I've made my Mm -hmm. decision, this is what we're going to do. I have a three year old and a six year old, not rational to get in that. And, and often when I say we're not talking about it, just mm-hmm. es- they escalate, escalate, escalate. Time. <clears throat> just ignore it. Time. Uh, time needs to happen. It takes 60 minutes to calm down from adrenaline. And honestly, as long as adrenaline is running through your body, you're in fight or flight, and you're not going to be rational. Um, timeouts are excellent. And I think timeouts aren't just for kids. Um, I love timeouts when my kids were young, they were for me as much as they were for my kid. I'm like, oh goodness, That's, I'm gonna put you in timeout. I'm not gonna do something stupid. Gave me time to calm down from my fight or flight adrenaline when I was upset with a three-year-old arguing whether or not they should have a certain cereal. Amazing the arguments we have when they're that age. Now they're 15, I just have different arguments. A lot more complicated. Um, but at least just distance, not say no, like a three-year-old. Anyway, um, explain to them how irrational they're being. That, people love that. That's one of the best things you can possibly do to your child if they're being irrational. Do you realize how irrational you're being? Because you know, they won't get defensive from that. <laughs> Not my kids. Um, Name calling, obviously, bad modeling. Blaming them. Being inconsistent. I'll tell you right now, having inconsistent rules is, is one of the top things I've seen that causes anger in children because they don't know what's going on and they don't think it's fair. The parent thinks they have the same rule, and they probably do have the same rule, but the problem is sometimes they punish for the rule, and sometimes they don't punish for the rule, or sometimes the mom punishes for the rule, and the dad doesn't punish for the rule, or whatever it is. That inconsistency causes anxiety and causes anger because they don't think it's fair. If they see their sibling not getting punished for something they just did, or if they think, well, last time I didn't get punished. Why am I getting punished this time? Inconsistency is immensely difficult, and and it's hurtful in causing anger and anxiety. Being consistent is so, so very important. Figuring out the rules you're going to have, and not figuring them out after the event has happened, figuring out before. My wife and I try and just have discussions about, "Okay, if our kids do this. What is the punishment? And we grew up, actually, our, our, the greatest moral failing in our household was lying. We decided because we wanted our kids to be honest. So I always told my kids, if you lie to me, I'm gonna double your punishment. If you're honest with me, I will half your punishment. And so we used to do that, and I used to get my kids, they would confess very quickly what they did because they wanted their punishment halved. But we were consistent with it every time. And what we did is there, the um, punishment fit the crime. Because you know, sometimes as a parent, we're just fed up. I don't know about you, I'm occasionally fed up. And they've done the same thing 100 times. And we want to kind of bring the hammer down. But if it's a small thing, it still needs a small punishment. It's not about our 100 points of anger, getting a wrath out, feeling better about it, you know, about spilling milk on the kitchen table. We do not throw fit and ground them for three weeks, OK? you calm down, you remain consistent, and the punishment should fit the crime. And again, same thing as not following through, not following through with punishments. A little about anger. I have a quote from Aristotle. Aristotle is kind of when Plato was more, started talking about emotion as in passion. Aristotle is about the time when we started kind of the, the Greco-Roman thinking of, of rational thought and started understanding emotion differently. He said, a man does not become angry when he feels anger in his senses. This is kind of what I was saying before. Rather, anger is felt with an intellectual realization that one has been wronged or slighted. In a cognition, cognitive understanding, emotions require standards and judgments. And he was saying is, it comes out of our beliefs. I don't get angry because there's just a stimulus. I'm angry because the stimulus goes against my beliefs or I feel I've been wronged. I don't think people should do this to me, shouldn't cut me off in traffic. Again, we talked about the fight or flight. Adrenaline, it takes 60 minutes to calm down from adrenaline. So if your kid's anxious, your kid's angry, there's a high emotion and you see that kicking into, it just takes 60 minutes for them to calm down. Probably takes you 60 minutes to calm down also if you're upset. If you feel upset, We all probably feel upset differently. I feel it in my stomach. Some people feel it in their chest, some people feel it in their neck, some people feel their hands sweating, some people feel a pulse. You all have a a physical way you feel stress. When you feel that, stop. Walk away, calm down for 60 minutes. This works in your marriage too. For arguing, stop. Nothing good will happen. I guarantee nothing. Not arguing with your spouse, not arguing with your child. Nothing good will happen if you're stressed and you're upset. The problem is you think you're rational, you're not. There's times I still think I'm rational. Well, I'm a counselor, I should be able to be rational. No, I'm not so rational when I'm upset and I say stupid things. And so what I, my goal, don't always achieve it, is to walk away and to calm down before I say something and or make a ruling, okay? In Ephesians chapter four, Paul writes, be angry yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. So literally, in the Bible, it said it's OK to be angry. It's not OK to sin in your anger. Again, you're allowed to feel angry. You're not allowed to throw a toy at your brother. It's pretty simple. Honestly, sometimes we should be angry. A lot of times we feel like we shouldn't. And honestly, if you ever use the word shouldn't, it's a shaming word, just so you know. We feel, oh, I shouldn't be angry at them. Well, why shouldn't you? There's nothing wrong with anger. Honestly, sometimes you should feel. Sometimes anger is the correct response. I have some clients that really work with have um, self-esteem issues. And they say their boss was mean and their boss was unjust and the boss yelled at them. She goes, I'm just so angry, but I shouldn't be angry. I'm like, why shouldn't you? I'm like, I'm angry at them. You should be angry. Sometimes anger is the correct response. And so if your kid comes home and there's been an injustice, let them be angry. Let them get it out. Don't let them kick the dog, but let them be angry, let them express it. And the things we also, is we carry around anger with us. I use, um, oftentimes in marriage counseling, I talk about a 10 point scale, okay? And let's say something simple of, you didn't like someone's, you know, the husband, we said we didn't like that dress. So on a scale of one to 10, that's like a one, right? In badness and hurt. However, if you're mad at your husband and you're carrying that anger around because you're mad at the last five things he did, he didn't take out the trash, he hasn't been consistent in the punishments, he's been late three times and he hasn't called. So you've got this anger that's building up, okay? You've got five points of anger in your back pocket, okay? So if he does this one, guess what? That five's gonna show up and you are gonna react at a six for a one. And your husband's gonna be like, why are you overreacting? I'm sure you've never heard that before. Um, And this goes for husbands too. But pretty much we walk around with anger and this happens with our kids and this happens with ourselves. If we're walking around with anger, we will automatically take those points and add it to whatever it is and we will react that much more. This is why we overreact. We simply overreact because we're carrying around anger. If we're angry at our kids for spilling that milk and it's a one, we might react at a six because we're so angry for the last 10 times they spilled milk and the cereal that's on the floor and the fact they forgot to feed the dog. And also we're just gonna take it out on them. The problem is they don't understand that you're taking it out on them for these 15 things. They're just looking at this one thing, they spilled milk, it's a one. Why are you reacting at a six, mom? Why are you overreacting? Because you know, your kids have never said that. You're overreacting because you're angry about so many things. You're not angry just about that one. Punishment won't fit the crime. We will get upset. So the question is what can we do? What can we do for ourselves as well as we can, what can we do for our kids? I would say most importantly is awareness. Helping your kids be aware when they're angry. So I think sometimes we're angry we you don't even realize we're angry. Helping your student be aware that they're angry. Allowing them to be angry. Allowing them to express their anger. Getting them to cool down. Just to take a time out to sit. I wouldn't use the word timeout because I guess that sounds like punishment. But you know what, go play a computer game for half hour. Go sit in your room, go calm down. You know, Talk them down, encourage them, listen to them, but let them calm down. Some things we use with um, children and teens um, as counselors, we try and encourage them to exercise. A lot of the boys, we just get to do push-ups. When they're angry, I'm like, oh, do 10 push-ups. They do 10 push-ups, they feel a little better. They're getting that adrenaline out. Remember the adrenaline? Adrenaline gets out through exercise. Taking a walk, doing jumping jacks. And honestly, the sillier it is, usually that gets it out even more, okay? If you're doing jumping jacks and push-ups and spinning around in a circle five times, they've actually done that in my office. Um, Not only is it funny, they're getting their adrenaline out and they're calming down. Taking a walk, letter writing, very, very helpful. Writing out what they're angry about. Because sometimes we can't tell someone how angry we are. But being able to write a letter to that person and never give it to them, perhaps tearing it up, is very cathartic, it's very healing. We actually use this technique oftentimes with deceased um, relatives or divorced. You're trying to get over that, you're trying to get over your anger, you write a letter to them. You just burn it, you get rid of it. But at least you're getting your anger out and you're expressing it. Journaling is very helpful. Finding something to distract themselves. So in the moment, when they're angry, these are the things we want them to do in the moment. To walk away, to cool down, to exercise, letter write. That will help them in the moment. Now, these are just band aids. Okay, these are anger management. I get guys that come in or women that come in and, and want work at anger management. I said, you know, I can give you some tools that help you, you know, for the five, 10 minutes and helps you cool down. But <laughs> it's not the long term solution. The long term solution is changing that belief, that cognition. Okay? Changing the beliefs, and you'll see this actually in all the different slides, is changing the beliefs. Having a different understanding oftentimes is gonna change our anger, though sometimes you should be angry. As parents, we wanna normalize. Normalize is simply telling someone what they're experiencing is normal. Say my son comes home, he's really upset at his teacher. You know what? It was unfair. I said, you know what? That's pretty normal you're mad at your teacher. I remember when I was in high school, my teacher did so, so, so. I was pretty angry too. No, yeah, that's pretty normal. And so what we do is we normalize. We just tell someone, yeah, that's normal, that's okay. I experienced that. And giving students stories of what you did when you were growing up or, or, or stories of you've been through the same thing is very normalizing to your child. Um, validating. Validating is a great thing is, is you don't have to even agree with the situation to validate someone's emotions. Let's say you agree with the teacher. The teacher was wrong. You can simply say, you know what, I can see where you'd be upset about that. I didn't agree, but I validated the emotion. I'm validating the person, I'm validating the emotion. You know, I can see where that would upset you. I can see from your perspective that you feel it's not fair. Yeah, I'd be pretty upset if that was my view. And I can validate them, not have to necessarily agree, which is often I have to do if they're mad at my wife. Um, I have to validate without agreeing. But I said, you know, I can, I can understand why you're mad at your mom. Makes sense, I've met at my mom plenty of times. I validate and I normalize. And what we're doing is just hitting the emotion. We're saying that emotion is okay. What I'm saying is I I, I acknowledge you as a human being, I acknowledge you as someone with emotions, and that's okay, it's okay to have those. Um, Long-term assertive communication is very helpful. Learning to be able to confront people in a healthy way, not in a passive-aggressive way, not in an aggressive-aggressive way but being able to share their emotions. You know what? I feel hurt when you do this. And being able to share with their friends in a calm manner, what upsets them? So they can get that anger out so they're not carrying that two, three, four, five, six points of anger around with them everywhere they go. And honestly, lastly is forgiveness. If we can teach our kids forgiveness, teach them to forgive others, because God first first forgave us. Sometimes we have to teach them that you have to forgive people even when they don't deserve it because we can be angry at someone and that could just make us miserable. But guess what, the other person's sleeping just fine and they're not affected by it. Usually anger and unforgiveness hurts us. It doesn't hurt the person we're angry at or haven't forgiven. They're sleeping just fine, they're, they're coasting along, they're happy, here you are miserable, angry, upset. Forgiving and forgiveness is a gift we give ourselves and helping our students understand that. I have a question. Yes. You, you know, you're talking about allowing them to express their anger, mm-hmm. and feel it. Mm-hmm. and I understand that. But also, sometimes, as a parent, it comes across as like kind of disrespectful or sassy, like. Disrespectful is a behavior. Um, well, oh the, no, I'm agreeing with the you. The reaction of anger. Yeah, right. And so there lies the tendency to mm-hmm. like stop the. Sure. You know. Sure stop that, be quiet, you know, right, like right, um, right. I was telling my daughter, she couldn't get into crafts last night, sure. at night or whatever, you know, because it was getting close to bedtime, and she was so angry about it, sure. and then I got angry at her for yeah. stomping around and right. being so angry about right. it, you know what I mean, so at what, po- you know, how do you deal with that mm-hmm. part of it, do you just allow her to stomp around and slam some doors? I don't allow disrespect in my house at all, actually, um, I allow the expression of emotions, I don't allow disrespect. Oh, so So how is that? But that is sort of an expression of her emotion. It's a disrespectful way of communicating it. Um, My child can say, you know, I'm really upset. They can huff, they can puff, they can say, you know what, this is not fair. You know, I even will let them raise their voice. Um, However, if it's shouting, then, you know, that's cutting off. But if they're slamming doors or they're doing things, I honestly believe that's a disrespectful behavior. There's a balance there. You you don't always want to maybe hit it that time. Because again, if they're angry, they're irrational they're upset. Mm-hmm. So it might be the time just to let them calm down, come to them the next hour, you know what? You really can't be stomping around like that. And the next time you stomp around, this is gonna be the consequence, mm-hmm. okay? I wouldn't say you can't get angry, let them get angry. Anger is an emotion. Stomping around is apparently not a acceptable behavior. Well, they can't stomp around. They can be angry, can't stop around. Mm-hmm. I would say that afterwards, because she's probably upset, how does What is an appropriate expression at that age of anger? Like... Expressing with words what they're upset about. Oftentimes, you can have kids write what they're angry about, or draw. They can draw. The kids love to draw, and they can draw their anger. They might draw a dragon. They might draw fire. They might draw. There's a lot of things they can draw. Draw their anger. Um, I would just I ask them, do you know why are you angry with me? And just let them share what they're angry at. And not correct them and not change them and not say, well, you shouldn't be angry because of. Just let them express what they're angry about. And let them get them used to expressing what they feel. And what I do is I validate the emotion. They're allowed to be angry. Even if I disagree with the reason, they can be angry. It's their right to be angry. It's not wrong to be angry. It is wrong to disrespect me and throw something at me and stop. <laughs> you know. So it is, it's hard, especially the younger they are. You know, but if we start this when they're younger, we start, you know, tell me what you're upset about. Then it gets easier as you practice it over and over. And the hard thing is, is also we as parents have to be very careful and understand emotions better. As in, you know, not to pick on you, but you got angry that she was angry, <laughs> okay? You should be angry she stomped. Well, yeah. Okay. You right. You can be angry she stomped. But often, it's not just you. We often do that. We get angry that our kids are angry. Well, why are you so angry? <laughs> Let's think about that for a second. You know, Why are we angry that they're angry? Anger is not wrong. Anger is an emotion. And as we as parents can see anger, fear, anxiety, all these is emotions that don't need to be corrected. Our kids are going to learn to express them and get through them. However, if we're always correcting them, you can't be angry, you can't be anxious, you can't do this, they're just going to stuff it. They're going to be depressed. They're going to be anxious. They're going to go to addictions. And they will be in my office in 10 years. Yeah? Uh, I just had a follow-up question. It seems like the enemy to all this is time, right? Because if, you know, your child does something, you've got to get on a train get downtown to get to a meeting. Yep. You don't have the time to diffuse the situation. Sure. You're, you know, if you're dropping them off at school and they don't want to put their uniform on, mm-hmm. the doors close at eight or whenever they close. Sure. So I was just curious in those situations where mm-hmm. your, your world just gets compressed to a point where don't have that right and there's a lot of stress i mean you have a lot of stress right absolutely you're stressed you're upset that's where i focus on behavior i would say look i don't care what your attitude is you will walk into school you will have your vest on or there will be a consequence and i explain the consequence you're going to be grounded from all computer games for three days it's your decision if that doesn't work you up the consequence but if you can make it simply about black and white consequence it's not personal Here's the deal: you can walk in, you can walk in. However, you don't walk in, this is what's going to happen. And also, what you're doing is you're empowering them with a decision. They now have a decision. They have some power. Kids have no power in their life. They're often looking for power, and oftentimes by trying to get us to react, um, kids love to get parents to react. That's the power they have. You know? Yeah. What if, uh, in your example, you know, they take the decision, they say, okay, no, no computer game, I'm not going to school. I would I would continue to up the punishment so until they went to school. <laughs> Is that though being inconsistent? Now you're like, okay, that really wasn't your decision now. It's six days. Right, right. You, have, Do you know, maybe I. Our, that. That's a good point. That's a good you point. That's punishment. a good point. Say, fine, I'll take the punishment. Right, right. right. That's just probable. And now you're like, well, That's a very good point. Right. Well, I would say, well, they made the wrong choice. I gave you a choice, but you made the wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes our kids make the wrong choices, and you know we gave them choice. He made the wrong choice, and it's our choice as as parents to correct their wrong choices. So yeah, you're right. That would be inconsistent. Um, however, you still need to get him in school. Um, you know, I would come up with a threat that's working, um, as well as yeah, that would be an awkward situation. But you know, getting him in school in that stressful situation, part of it is also is is setting the expectations before that stressful things happen. You know, part of it is also for us is maybe getting up five to ten minutes early. I know oftentimes in our household, we get stressed because we're trying to get church on time or work on time or wherever on time, school on time. We get stressed, our kids feel that stress and honestly often react. I notice both my kids, when my wife gets stressed, they get slower Mm -hmm. because it drives her nuts. I don't think they do it consciously, but she's always in a hurry and she's a little stressed. And so they will literally start walking slower. They'll put their clothes on slower. The more my wife gets upset, the slower they get and there's this reaction. And so what we simply did is, well, um, I started honestly just getting them ready for church um, (laughs) because I don't react. But what we did is we just, my wife just got up earlier and I just got them starting to do things earlier. Therefore, there was just a lot less stress. So often planning, is very helpful in keeping our stress level down. Kids love to get us to react. Kids have no power in their life. They have no power. We choose what they wear, when they go to bed, what they eat, where they live, everything. We have that power. They have one power over us, and that is to get us to react. And if they can get us to react, they will. I used to love that as a kid. That was like one of my favorite games ever, if I can get my parents to react. One of the secrets I have that drives my wife nuts is that my children literally do everything I ask them to do. Why? Not because I'm some huge disciplinarian. Not because they're scared of me. I don't react ever. I just don't react. I don't have an emotional reaction. Because then they would have power over me. And they'll say, you know what? I really don't want to do this and I'm like, OK. Sorry you feel that way. This is going to be your punishment. I don't get in an argument. I don't fight. I don't disagree. I don't scream. I don't yell. I simply said this is going to be your punishment. And over the years, they've learned that really quickly. And I, I'm not trying to brag. I'm not trying to say I'm some super parent, because I'm not. But my kids literally do virtually everything I tell them the first time, because I never react. Now, unfortunately, my wife reacts. And I love her dearly. And she's an excellent mother. But, and also, I think being female is a little harder to not react. And she reacts. And that's not trying to be sexist. i It's kind of true. When she reacts, my kids go slower. My kids. Are honestly kind of looking for the reaction. They're looking for the power they have over her. And it drives her nuts, and she will fully admit it. And she goes, Well, you go tell them they're going to listen to you. <laughs> so usually I have to be the one that tells them. So, But in a situation, the calmer we can stay, the better um, chance we are of our kids doing what we sh- they should do. Because oftentimes they see us getting upset, they just want to poke the bear. They just want to see how upset they can get us. And it's not conscious. I don't think they're purposely trying to do that. But oftentimes I see I see kids doing that. They're just poking the bear. So even get dad upset, see even get mom upset, see even get whoever upset. You know. Sometimes the reaction in many ways is the positive reinforcement. You know, we positive reinforce a dog by giving a treat when it shakes. Sometimes the reaction you give them is a positive reinforcement. So you're now positively reinforcing a negative behavior by giving them a reaction and they learn that real quick. Anyway, we'll go on to anxiety. Things to make it worse. Um, Explaining why they shouldn't be anxious. There is nothing that makes an anxious person more anxious than explaining to them why they shouldn't be anxious. Um, Trust me, we as never, ever, ever do that as a counselor. You know, when someone walks into my office, I'm anxious, well, you shouldn't be anxious about that. Here's a reason why. Do you know why? That makes them more anxious? Because they feel that you're just not taking them seriously. And they're thinking, okay, if you're not anxious, then I probably should be more anxious because you're not taking this seriously. I see this in marriages and I see this with kids and parents. Is that if we just don't take it seriously at all, they think, oh my gosh, you're not taking it seriously. I need to take it doubly serious. And I get more anxious. And this is what happens with adults, this happens with kids. When we tell them not to be anxious or give them just, well, you know, that's not gonna happen, they feel minimized, they feel put off, they feel like we're not validating them, they feel we don't care about what they feel. Telling them to get over it, telling them not to feel that way, again, we can't just change our feelings. We can change our thoughts, we can change our behaviors. Telling them everything will just be fine. Um, Not explaining your expectations, and this goes kind of going back to communicating correctly. You know, explaining your expectations of what's going to go on in a day. Say, you know, you know you have a stressful day coming up. Just explaining. You know what, kids? We have a stressful day. We have a tight schedule. And this is what I expect of you. I expect each time we get out of the car, you get out of the car quickly. And you don't dilly-dally, and you don't wait five minutes pulling your backpack out of the back. You know, you explain your expectations ahead of time. They at least have a fighting chance. But if all of a sudden I have these expectations and I don't tell my kids, my kid's getting out of the car slowly, I'm gonna freak out. What are you doing? Get out of the car! My kid didn't even know. I'm getting mad at him about something I never told him. That's not fair. That's gonna cause anxiety. And again, we talked about inconsistent punishing. Anxiety, just like anger, is a fight or flight response. It is irrational. It is an irrational fear of something. oftentimes we have a legitimate reason to be anxious, but anxiety is an irrational fear that goes too far. And it's real to that person. Regardless of whether it's really going to happen, it's real to that person. And we need to validate it in that person. Regardless of how silly it may seem, to that person it's real. And for us to say it's unreal will actually make them believe it's real more. And it's exponential. It will continue to get worse and worse and worse. This is what agoraphobia is. Agoraphobia is people are afraid to go outside because they're afraid, literally, of having a panic attack. So they have a panic attack about having a panic attack. And that's actually usually what panic attacks are. Panic attacks are the anxiety of having a panic attack. So I'll tell you a secret right now, no charge. You wanna work on panic attacks, have it. If you feel a panic attack happening, just have it. Panic attacks don't often happen. You can still occasionally have it. I've actually, oftentimes in my office, people have said, why have panic attacks? I'm like, good, go. And they can't just choose to have a panic attack, because you can't choose to have a panic attack. You have a panic attack when you're afraid of having a panic attack, when you're afraid of anxiety, when you're anxious to be anxious. It's exponential, then it grows. It's also biochemical. There's people that are just born more anxious than others. We've proven in the brain, through brain scans, uh, many different things, but there are some people that are just more anxious. And sometimes they need a little more help. So how can you help? Going back is awareness. Helping them understand what anxiety is. Helping them understand what's going on. They may just feel, you know what, I feel stressed, I feel, I feel nervous, I feel shaking, whatever it is. They may not completely understand what's going on. Explaining to them, you know, you're feeling anxiety. And explaining what anxiety is, oftentimes just knowing what you have makes you feel better. Sometimes just getting a diagnosis. Oh, good, I'm not crazy. I just have something that I need to work on. Exercise, again, is very good. Taking a walk, a lot of these are very similar. Letter writing, journaling, distraction. Pets, amazing for anxiety. Petting a dog has has been, or petting a cat has been scientifically proved to reduce stress, to reduce anxiety. We actually have a certified pet therapy dog at our practice for that very reason. Um, Suzanne Clary, our therapist, has trained her dog, and she's at her office 30 hours a week, and my wife tells all our therapists this is her favorite therapist. (laughs) I think she kind of likes the dog more than I do, actually. More than she likes me, but she she loves Tally. Tally's a great employee. Tally does everything. We don't have to pay her. She's a great, perfect employee. We should all just have dogs. But um, anyway, dogs, pets are awesome for calming kids down. Um, Using self-talk. Having the kid learn to talk themselves down. Again, we talked about don't argue. A great technique for anxiety is then what? Because then what is catastrophizing, okay? Say your, your daughter is scared about failing a test tomorrow. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna fail this test tomorrow. I haven't studied, and it's really hard, and I'm gonna, and I go, okay, well, say you fail a test. Then what? Because usually anxiety is, well, something's gonna happen, world ends. Okay, because really in her story, she's going to fail this test. She's not thinking what really happens when she fails the test, she just thinks the world ends. Well, what happens if you fail a test? Um, Then usually they say, oh, because they're not thinking. Oh, I don't know. Well, what would happen if you fail your test? Well, I guess I would fail my test. I'd feel bad. Okay, you'd feel bad. I'd have to do better in some other classes or do better later or retake it. Okay. If all of a sudden you can rationally realize not me telling her, her telling herself, Wow, okay, so if I fail that test, life won't end. I can just study and do better on the next test or I could retake it or I can talk to my teacher. There's things I can do. The world will not end because of this one thing happening. And I use this with my clients all the time. I was then what? I'm anxious about this. Well, okay, then what? Because usually anxiety is about one thing happening, world ends. Lastly, just for your kids' mental health, I just go through these very quickly. Having, I know that the, the, some of these seem really simple, but these are amazingly important for uh, mental health. Sleep, number one determinant of mental health. It's one thing I learned in uh, working in a hospital. My, my uh, supervisor said, Grant, I don't care what you do, get them to sleep. like, really? He goes, I don't care if you counsel, I don't care what you do, get them to sleep because sleep is the number one determinant of mental health. When you want to be healthy, you have to sleep. We think we can get away with not sleeping. We're wrong. Good nutrition, laughter and recreation, having fun, physical activity, deep breathing techniques I talked about, having non-electronic time. Sometimes you just need to get away from a screen, get away from electronics. They need to learn to be able to stay away from that for at least a short time. Having quality family time and sharing your own struggles are some additional things you can do to help your kids with these different emotions. That's gonna do it for today's episode. Visit stenzoclinical.com news for helpful tips on parenting, relationships, managing anxiety, battling depression, and more. You can also find us on social media with the handle at Stunzel Clinical. If you enjoyed our show, please be sure to leave a review. As always, thank you for listening.